you take the hard step of creating a plan for your financial future and you figure, you know what? I need a financial advisor. But what happens if your financial advisor is actually working against you? Tune in today and we're going to help protect you from making that mistake. It's Brian Preston, the money guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. So, Bo, this is one of those things. I, I sometimes, we've been doing this over 11 years now. I just assume something that we talked about two months ago. And, and it's just knowledge for everyone that's part of the Money Guy family. And then I come in and share ideas with you. And, and it's so interesting. We normally live and let other people live. Yeah, you know, sure. we, we try to stay out of other people's way. We don't ever, you probably notice the tone of the show is we don't pick on a lot of people. Right. Yeah. We don't try to, you know, to, to preach necessarily. But then there's things that happen and you're just like, wait a minute. It's starting to build up in the last Two to three weeks, Bo. Yeah. We have seen at least three horrible examples of where hiring a financial advisor, instead of being this, this next level, taking, we always talk to you about taking your relationship to the next level. And we, we do this with the thought that, you know, you can always vote with your feet and that you're going to stay a client of our firm because we make you addicted to the process. You like the results. It's no different than going to the gym, right. hiring a personal trainer. And you like that you have turned yourself into a better version of yourself. We do the same thing to your finances. But what if you go and you hire a financial advisor and then you find out, man, the advice they're giving me is just straight up crummy. I mean, I can't think of a better way to put it. And we've seen this in the last three weeks. Uh, I mean, I've got several of, how, how many do we have here? I should have probably counted this before the show. We've got one, two, three, four, five. That's good. Five's a good number. If yep. it's not three, let's make it five. Yeah, I love it. Um, five is a good number of things, of, of, of kind of examples or circumstances that if you're not watching out for, your financial advisor might actually be the most detrimental thing you could do to your personal finances. Now, with all that said, and before we get into these examples, I want you to know this is actually a positive thing. We, we hope people realize working with a financial advisor should be something that does turbocharge your ability to reach your goals. This is not meant to be all negative, but I got to share some of these things that we've seen that just have gotten up into my crawl. No, I mean, I it, it has truly bothered me. So this episode might have a little bit more of an edge than we, than most of our shows do because I really want you guys to be protected to make sure that you never have these situations come and hit you. Now let's, before I jump into the examples, first, welcome to the Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston, and I'm sitting across from Mr. Bo Hansen here. And what's so exciting is, is guys, and it's so fun. Now that we've been in our downtown Franklin office for over a month right. now, recorded a few shows here. And you guys are taking us up on our offer. We have said, hey, look, if you're coming to Nashville, if you're coming to Franklin, Tennessee, let us know. And we'll give you a, a, the nickel tour of our new downtown office. You guys are doing it. It, it, it is so fulfilling to have you guys, to, to meet you in person. I'm not going to give names because I want to protect you. Sure, everybody. yeah, of course. But, Bo, you had a meeting with one of our podcast clients a few days ago. Made my day in the fact that, Went down to grab some lunch just in the bakery down below us because, Bo, for some reason you abandoned me that day and we didn't go have <laughs> lunch together. And, it, I mean, you have no idea. It makes the, the hair on my arm crawl, you know, stand up and just excites me that a passion project that we started back in 2006 
has turned into something that really is connecting with you guys and, and, and connecting so much so that when you're on your family vacation, when you're on your business trips, um, when you're just going out with your significant other, because Nashville's a great city if you're looking for like a couple trip just to, to make sure the fire is burning strong in your relationship, come to Nashville and check out the Money Guy Show. Now, I'm not saying the Money Guy Show is what's going to make that fire better. It will in the fact that hopefully your finances will be better. <laughs> but it is one of those things where we'd love to hear from you because we are having a few of you come by, do tours of the office, um, get to know you, put a face with a name. It, it, it's so fulfilling. I, I don't know what else to say. And, and that probably is a great segue, and I'm looking up at the map in our office. Of all the states we work with clients in from the podcast, Love to have that number expanded. I think we're in 37 now. That's right. Yep. Imagine the day when it's 50. Yeah. I mean, and I really do think we're on that trajectory. So go check it out. It's um, moneyguy.com, and our website for the firm is aboundwealth.com. And if you want to, we even have a contact page on Abound Wealth that you can go. And a lot of you guys, I haven't even mentioned it on the, the podcast. You guys are just smart naturally. You're finding it and going to the contact page and reaching out to us that way. Um, so it means the world to us, and I'll I'll quit and go back to the topic, but man, oh man, is it fulfilling to, to have something good like that happen. And so, Brian, you started off by saying, you know, that what we're going to talk about today is, you know, is your financial advisor working against you? And, and I feel like with all of the news media talking about like this fiduciary rule out there and all these ro- uh, robo-advisors coming out, do you feel like financial planning advice and even the prevalence of using a financial advisor is something that's grown over for for sure, years. you know, and, and we've seen the research. I mean, this is the cool thing. The CFP board research, uh, the CFP board, I should say, they, they do research and they have numbers that come in. And they, the last one they did was in 2015. And if you look at the, the numbers from 2010 to 2015 of how many consumers are actually using financial advisors, the number increased from 28% in 2010 up to 40% in 2015. So oh, this wow. is outstanding yeah. that our industry is growing. I do want to give you some some realities of the financial industry and realize I come from the commission side. When I, I realized my, my path right out of college, I was working in public accounting. Public Mid-90s was when the AICPA, the governing board of um, the accountants, certified public accountants, decided, you know what, it'd be a great idea if we allowed CPAs to start doing more consulting and other things. This has um, led to the fine results of Arthur Anderson and some of the other great uh, they're not frauds, but they're definitely not the finest hour for sure. CPAs. Sure. But it, anyway, it also led to more f- CPAs doing financial planning. And I was fortunate enough that the firm I worked with got into doing financial planning, but we did it through the commission side. I was a registered rep, passed the seven, passed the 63. People on the inside will know what I mean by those things. And it's it's interesting. So I, I feel like I have a unique perspective in this. I've worked on the commission side. I worked at a firm that we sold life insurance and annuities. And then um, now I've transitioned. And for the last really two decades of my life, I've worked exclusively on the fee-only side. And I, I feel like working on both sides, the fee-only is the superior business model. But this is going to shock you guys. I pulled this. And I don't want you to think I make this stuff up. Because I, I when I go and speak at colleges... Um, to financial planning programs and other things. I always throw these stats out, and it's so easy to pull this. So you can go check my numbers if you don't believe me. The government tracks how many people do this for a living. It's um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, BLS for short. If you go out to just do a search on Google or whatever and type in BLS or Bureau of Labor Statistics personal financial advisor, it will give you some some interesting numbers. It'll tell you how many jobs 
are in this industry. And as of 2014, there were approximately 249,400 people that did this for a living. And it's projected. Now, here's what's cool. By 2024, they're projecting that it will change by almost 74,000, meaning it's 30%. So there's going to be a lot more people doing financial planning. But here's the shock, here's the shock and awe fact that I really want to share with you guys. Of the 249,400 people that are doing financial planning, the fee-only variety, mm-hmm. the unicorns, and there's a reason I call us the unicorns, really right around 3,000 people. Really? And I, I used to like when I could go to colleges and say, we're less than 1% of the industry. Now, I will, you, you can quickly do the math and realize we now have grown to over 1%. Right. So that we are making progress that we're over 1%, but still less than 2%. That's almost a rounding error. Yeah, sure. You know, when you're doing polls and other things, they, they tell you, you know, they might be off three or four percent. Think about that. The entire side of the fee only planning side is a rounding error. Right, right, and right. So that shows you that the majority of people who are probably helping you with your finances, they, they very well could have a fiduciary obligation if they're registered investment advisors, RIAs, but they're not fee only. That's still kind of the exception or the minority, the very, vast minority, as I say, the unicorns of the industry. So understand that, that you need to be on guard when understanding, when you hire a financial advisor, what are their duties? And Bo, you mentioned the word fiduciary. Um, And I I don't know if you, if you want to share what fiduciary actually means. Um, What kind of break that down? Because that's a word, it's more of a legal term. Yeah. So Investopedia says that it's actually a personal organization that owes to another the duties of good faith and trust. It's the highest legal duty of one party to another, uh, and it also involves being bound ethically to act in the other's best interest. So what it essentially means is that by law, if I'm a fiduciary for you, I'm required to act in your best interest. I have to put what's best for you above what's best for me. But don't does, everybody has to do that, right? Well, you would think so. <laughs> you, you, you would you would hope so, and you you would want it to be that way, but. Currently, uh, and now this is what all the law changes about right now is, is this going to change? But currently, there are two different standards. There's a fiduciary standard, and then there's what's called the suitability standard, which means so long as you're not doing something negligent like selling a bunch of penny stocks to a 95-year-old widow. I'm going to assume that, that that's a negligent thing. So long as the investment is suitable for their situation, it doesn't have to be in their best interest. The actual advice that the advisor gives can be incidental to the products that they're selling. So it's a slightly different standard than what the fiduciary best interest standard is. It's the difference between a a lunchroom person that's selling candy bars versus a full, you know, balanced dietitian dietitian serving you, you know, all the different greens, all the proteins and everything you need versus the person saying, hey, look, I've got the greatest tasting Almond joy you've ever tasted before over here. I mean, that's, that's the thing. What's suitable because let's think, let's face it. Candy bars are edible. Mm-hmm. They are suitable for a human to eat. Does that mean that it's the best thing for a human to eat? No. And that's, that's kind of a great, I think that is a good analogy of what you want somebody who's acting in your best interest. Sure. Because if you go to a doctor, and they, they told you our, our dietitian, as you yeah. mentioned, our nutritionist, and they started telling you candy bars are the best thing for you. You probably start questioning, is this person just trying to sell candy bars or are they actually trying to make me healthier? Right, yeah. And we're trying to, I think most people who do have the fiduciary 
um, obligation, it does at least put them on the same side of the table and working in your best interest. So let's jump into these. I, I really was excited to kind of go through these and these things just rolled out. I mean, sure, there's plenty more we could do, but like I said, three of these came in the last two weeks. Yeah. We personally saw this with people who we were either helping out family members of existing clients or even personal friends who came to us with their parents and said, Hey, look, I need you to look at something. It's really bothering me. My, my spidey senses are telling me that this guy is not acting in the best interest of my parents. Can you look at this? And when, sure enough, we look at it and I'm just like, it makes my stomach turn. It really does. So the first one, and this is, this one is, we started off instead of going from, from least to, to biggest, we just threw these all out there. But I will tell you, this first one's a strong one. This one is one drives me literally crazy because it also appeals to my tight wideness. Because why would you pay for something that's already included? I mean, that, that yeah. is just the silliest thing in the world is if you're paying for something twice. And that's exactly what happens when we're talking about annuities and IRAs. Oh, yeah. When yeah. you buy annuities within an individual retirement account, you are paying for something twice. So, Brian, what's one of the, what's the great thing about an IRA? What makes an IRA so special? We like IRAs. Now, realize there's other variations now. We hit because it's, it's progressed, it, it evolved in the fact that we now have Roth IRAs that grow tax, tax free. You know, I mean, you put the money in, it just, it grows and you never have to pay the tax man. But traditional IRAs is what we're talking about. When you buy annuities within traditional IRAs, I don't think, have, have we seen annuities in a Roth? I, that would really, yeah, that, <laughs> I don't even know if that's possible. Yeah, I, I'm not even going, I shouldn't even have thrown that out there. That's getting into the, I, don't, I think not because annuities have to pay taxes. Right. So I don't think it's eligible, but be, let me get back on point. The thing is, is that IRAs, traditional IRAs and annuities have the tax benefit of they grow what's called tax deferred. And what, what I mean by tax deferred is, is say you invest $5,000 into an IRA. You wait, you, you know, you pour some water on it, put some fertilizer in there and you buy the right investment and it grows over the next 20 years and it's worth $25,000 over that 20 years. That $20,000 of growth, you put five in, now it's worth 25. There's $20,000 of growth. You never paid income tax over that 20 year period as it grew. But as you pull the money out, you're now going to have to start paying ordinary income taxes. Well, Traditional IRAs have that by design, meaning that when Congress created individual retirement accounts with legislation, that was their makeup. Another product that boasts the exact same benefit are life insurance products, annuities. Mm -hmm. They, by their very structure, can grow tax-deferred, but when they're put inside of an IRA, you are bundling two things that act in the same way and increasing your expenses because realize... Life insurance or products, especially annuities, have layers of fees. They have mortality expenses. They have, you know, operational expenses. They have, you know, surrender fees. They have all these different layers of fees that I just don't think that you need to subject yourself to just for the sake of getting something that's already given to you by the design of the product. No, I, I think that's, I was trying to think of like some really clever analogies of what this is like. And I came up with like, it's like putting on sunscreen while you're inside. <laughs> right? It's like turning on a sprinkler inside of a swimming pool. But, it, but it's even worse than the fact that they're charging you. Yeah it, yeah, yeah. it would be like, you know, if you put sunscreen on inside, but they, they made you pay f- for twice what you normally would if you put <laughs> sunscreen on out in the outdoors. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so you don't want to have that penalty. So don't have that headwind. That, that really drives me crazy when people are paying those additional fees. Um, so the second thing, 
taking more risk than the situation warrants. This is another, by the way, the first one we just gave you about the, the annuities and IRAs, that's, that's one example we had in the last right, two yeah. weeks. This second one is a perfect example of another one we've had in the last two weeks. But walk me through what we're talking about here. Yeah, so what happens is, is sort of we're all on this race, if you will. We're trying to win the financial game. Well, a lot of folks, as they get close to retirement, uh, maybe you have no debt. You've paid off your mortgage. You have a healthy pot of assets built up. And you're kind of what, what we call is you're getting close to home plate. You've yeah. almost won the game. Building financial independence. You are financially independent. Well, what is so unfortunate is we see a lot of advisors who want to give the advice that because there might be some sort of mathematical substantiation for it, that, oh, you know what you ought to do? Interest rates are really low right now. So even though your house is paid off, you should consider doing a cash-out refinance of your house. Take all that equity out of your house, and you should go invest that money because you can earn more in that money if you put it to work because interest rates are so low. In our opinion, for someone whose goals are to live a comfortable retirement and be able to do the things they want to do when they want to do it, that's taking unnecessary and excessive risk with no real benefit. So, Because I know we've already gotten, we've mentioned this before in other podcasts, and we get listeners, because you guys are so good financially, sure. you write us and you say, Brian, Bo, I have investment accounts that could pay off my mortgage tomorrow. You're telling me I should go ahead and just, instead of having that money work for me, making me 8 9% a year, I should go ahead and prepay that 3.5% mortgage? I mean, what do you say for our younger people? Because I think there is a fine line, and I, I want to make sure we understand. We're talking about risk capacity, sure. guys, and yeah. we'll explain what risk capacity is, but I want to make sure that we don't alienate any of our podcast listeners who are trying to maximize what they're doing in their financial life. Yeah, it's individual specific. So it depends on what your specific goals are, what your specific circumstances are. If you're someone who has uh, some really strong guaranteed income streams, maybe you have a pension, maybe you have Social Security, then it's possible you could substantiate carrying a mortgage into retirement. And there's a mathematical argument for that. But if your goal is, I want to simplify my life, I want to take some risk off the table, I don't want to be subjected to all the financial market volatility, then that has to come into the equation. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution. But before you make that decision, either to completely pay off the mortgage or to refinance the paid-for house, you really need to understand the why and and the what you're trying to accomplish by doing that. What I hear you saying, because it's getting to the point of it, is as you get older, and I kind of alluded to this when I said the word risk capacity or words, is the fact that I think a younger person, when I say younger, I'm getting older myself, so I even consider somebody in their 50s, there's nothing wrong with you having mortgages. Sure. And, I, and look, guys, I used to be the the big, I was the guy holding the megaphone telling you pay your mortgage off in 10 to 15 years. Um, I love paying down debt. And, and truthfully, if you uh, just being confessional, I am going to pay my mortgage off probably in 15 years sure. just because that it just makes me feel better having debt paid for. But I recognize and I'm, I'm, and I'm honest enough and transparent enough with you guys to tell you that there is definitely an analytical argument to be made about, you know, earning a better rate of return than that tax favored. Because realize mortgage interest currently, and I say currently because it is something they keep talking about sure. in Washington, is a deductible expense. So, it, you know, you take the low historic rates and then you take the tax-favored deduction you get, yeah, you can make an argument, and I think there's nothing wrong with a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old that wants to have a 30-year mortgage and you know, and make so they can make sure they're maximizing other life goals. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that. But as you get older, 
Here's the key point. This is what Bo was talking about. As you get older, you want your life to be as risk-controlled as possible. I didn't say risk-free, because I'm going to talk to you in a minute about why risk-free can be a very expensive endeavor. But you want it to be risk-controlled so that you kind of can take as much off the plate of what could go wrong in your financial life as possible. Because realize when you retire, say you're you're 65 or close to 70, like this person we're talking sure. about in the example, is that they had a paid-for house, and then they had a you know a a guy come by who wants them, who's been helping them for years, who wants them to go and take a mortgage on a paid-for product in reti- quasi-retirement because they're still doing some work, but approaching 70. Um, and, and and go and put that money into an investment vehicle. So we're going to take something where we've now removed a lot of risk and we're going to go put it and make it subjected to market risk. Well, what happens if 2008 happens? Do you think a 70-year-old has the four to eight years that it might take to recover? That's what risk capacity is, is that, yes, you might have the risk tolerance. You might be a wild cowboy who's willing to do as much. You go to the casinos, you're perfectly fine putting it all out there. But just because you're willing to do it, doesn't mean that analytically you have the time or capacity to recover from your bad mistakes. So that's why we tell people, you know, when you retire, you're already going to have so much stress throwing your way because there's a, Bo, you sent me an article about intangible assets yep. that we have in life. And it is funny that when you're younger, your intangible asset is your ability that you can make money. You can go work. And that's also a coping mechanism. When markets are bad, you say, it's all right. If you get older, you say, you know what? It's okay. I still have 10 years to retire. I'm just going to keep working longer and harder. That's the intangible asset is your ability to work. Well, guess what? As you get older and approach retirement, your ability to work is going to become less and less valuable, but your financial assets now will pick up that additional weight. And it doesn't make sense when you're at that weak period where now your your back, your brain, your hands just aren't as valuable as they once were. You've got to make sure that you're protecting your financial assets because there's also psychological things that go on when you have that first downturn where the market goes down 20, 25% in a year as a bear market. And you're going to go, man, I have to rely upon this, th- these financial assets. Uh, oh my goodness. And my house is not paid for. It will freak you out. So if you can take as much risk off the table, I think it puts you in a much better place. Sure. So uh, risk capacity is the key thing. We're not picking on anybody out there who's doing such a great job that you're saying, you know what, I have this 3.5% mortgage, I'm going to keep investing. But as you're approaching in your 60s, 70s, and you really are, think you're at that point, you're picking up your marbles, going home, and you're not working anymore, try to be debt-free. That's that's the best advice I can give you because it's going to give you the peace of mind. We work with clients all the time who are in that transition phase, and I can tell you we are giving you the tools that are going to make it as easy as possible so you don't hit those those road bumps that really derail a lot of people emotionally. Mm-hmm. So that, that's probably a great place to leave it. But taking more risks than the situation warrants can be horrible. And I think and the last thing I'll close it out with an, excla- you know, an exclamation mark is that why do you think that financial advisor is coming to this client who's approaching 70, has a paid-for house, why do you think they're telling them to go Take that mortgage out so they can invest more money. Well, because they just care so much about the client that they really feel like this is what the client needs to be able to live and do the things they want to do. I mean, they just, it'd be crazy for them to miss out on this amazing opportunity. It all goes back to that whole fiduciary thing of 
there is a big old smelly, stinky conflict of interest here, and is is that I guarantee you, I won't use guarantee because that's not a good word to use no, in investing. We don't use that in the financial world. I bet that that advisor was going to have a good old commission check off of that investment, and that's the thing that you have to recognize. Always try to figure out what's the motivation for this person that's bringing this product to me. So that leads to number three. And this ties into, it's funny, we loaded this thing up uh, with really the first three are the three we've seen here in the last two weeks. Here's number three. Every problem has the same solution. You know, when I was in college, I was um, freshman year, I was just in a dorm. Sophomore year, um, some of my buddies flunked out. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I was Georgia living was a little too much. I was living off campus in an apartment, and um, and and my social life when some of them flunked out, as well as just having friends, kind of was getting away from me. I don't want y'all to read it. I was a great student, especially freshman, sophomore, junior year. So don't read anything. I just like hanging out with all types of people. Well, anyway, I ended up joining a fraternity my sophomore year, and one of the things they do, and I don't think I'm breaking any protocols, but when you get to the last part of becoming a brother in a fraternity, they try to do things to annoy you. Okay. And one of the things, they do this thing where they you, you stay up all night. This is right the week you're becoming a, a full brother. They I guess it's hazing, but it's, right. it's sure, not sure, like sure. somebody's beating you or doing anything. And they played Poison Unskinny Bop for 24 hours straight in our room, blaring. I mean, and it was the same song over and over and over again. That type of stuff is ridiculous in the fact that you're being tortured. Imagine if in your car, all you got to listen to was the same song over and over. And it was Poison Unskinny Bop, (laughs) which if you like that song, listen to it 24 hours a day and you'll realize this is horrible. Or here's another analogy. What if you're playing a round of golf and the only club you got to play the entire round of golf with was a putter? That'd be tough. Do you see how one thing that's good but over and over again can really be horrible. I mean, oh, yeah. it just is, it's, it's restricting. And that's exactly what we're talking about when we see advisors that the only product, every product is either a life insurance product or an annuity product. Yeah. I felt like I learned this lesson sort of firsthand, Brian. When I, when I was in school and I was uh, going through the financial planning program, I did an internship with a major insurance company and, you know, I won't mention the name or anything, anything like that. But I thought it was so interesting as, as I went on these these calls or financial appointments with the, the college director. Um, if somebody had a question about retirement, his answer was X, Y, Z. And, and then if somebody had a question about saving for college, his answer was still X, Y, Z. Or if they had a wedding coming up for one of their children and they wanted to figure out what to do to prepare for that wedding, the answer was still X, Y, Z. And I remember thinking even back then while I was still kind of still learning all this stuff for the first time, it seems really interesting. Even though the, the, the problems are all different, the solution that this guy is suggesting, what he's saying is their, their, their end game is the same no matter what the problem is. And that just, that seemed off to me. That seemed weird to me. And, and I know a lot of you guys, cause we have listeners of all types. We even have some that, that sell insurance. I mean, some of our, some, we have clients that are, work in the insurance, yeah, sure. insurance industry. And truthfully, guys, 
I have tons of insurance. I mean, if you could see my life insurance portfolio, I have a lot of life insurance. Um, and, I, you know, we try to protect against, you know, if I get hurt with, you know, it goes beyond just life insurance. I have other insurance products, too, as well as disability and so forth. So we're not picking on insurance because I think it is a very functional and good tool. It all goes back to exactly the example that Bo was giving is that when that good tool is said to be the only tool, for all scenarios. That is horrible. And that's the thing is because there's a lot of times that maybe, you know, like you talk about college funding, Mm -hmm. you know, 529. So, I mean, there's all kind of evolutions and developments that have occurred in the financial industry that have made things better for us. I mean, talk about, we, I mean, think about the evolution of things and development of products just in the last decade. Yeah. I mean, talking about these, you know, Target retirement funds. Those things didn't exist that long That's ago. Right, yeah. Index funds. I mean, the guy who founded the whole concept of index funds is still doing interviews on CNBC. Yeah. So this stuff is all pretty new, and it's cool that innovation is still impacting investments. But when you give the same answer of life insurance and annuities on every financial decision, I would start going, why why is it always life insurance? Yeah. Why is it always an annuity? Why why is he not recommending 529s? Why is he not recommending that we look at Roth products and all this other stuff that could really be a very effective tool belt? You're not going to be Batman if your tool belt only has one tool on it. I mean, you're just not you're just not going to do it. And and here's the other thing I want to caution you about, and then I'm going to give you an example because it cracks me up that this stuff just flows and it's almost like it's meant to be is that a lot of times these things appeal, and the reason they're sold so well is that they provide, typically appeals to the biggest emotional sales tool, which is the guaranteed performance and no risk investing. And you yeah. heard me earlier make a joke, oh, I can't say the word guaranteed, is because I will tell you one of the first things they teach you when you're going through the regulation side and taking testing and stuff is don't talk about guarantees with investing because by the sheer nature, investing is risky. Yeah. I mean, you that is what you're trying. That's why you have risk tolerance. That's why you have risk capacity. That's why you have the whole curve trying to figure out where you fit in on your goals, your age, and it, figuring out the right risk formula so that you don't take too much risk to jeopardize your long-term planning. So just the sheer nature and design of investing where you put money out there hoping it turns better, but there is a risk, R-I-S-K, that the assets could go down in value. So if somebody tells you, hey, we're going to guarantee that you'll get some minimal performance. We're going to guarantee that your return or your investment, your initial investment is going to have no risk involved. I would say, wait a minute, this is going against the very nature of what I'm doing. How can they do that? Is there a catch? Is there, what's, what's the catch? Sure. Because nothing is free. The catch is this simple, guys. Those guarantees and that safety are super expensive. You'll notice immediately that whenever you have something that's guaranteed or provides safety, they're going to lock your money up typically for 10 to 12 years yep. through surrender periods. There's a lot of things they can promise you if they know they can control your behavior for 10 to 12 years. I mean, we do illustrations all the time, Bo. If you can keep your money invested for five to seven years and not make bad emotional decisions, typically, historically, things work out pretty right. good. Yep. So you can imagine it, it, it benefits them even more if they go beyond five to seven years and go 10 to 12 years. I mean, because you're really, you get a 2008 in the middle of that period, you don't see many periods where 
over a decade that you have very bad performance because it, it you know, it reverts to the mean and historically things are pretty good sure. to be an investor. Um, low performance. Here's the other thing. If they lock your money up for 10 to 12 years, but then they cap or take away performance from you, because that's what you'll see is low performance on most of these products because they limit your upside in good years. When you have a year like 2013, where the market makes over 20%, you have years in the 90s where you have markets. Well, I mean, we've, I think actually 2013 was over 30%. 30, So what if you had years where the market's making over 30%, but yet your product is capped at 5%? Yeah. Are capped at 8% or 7%. It depends upon the product and the design. But who do you think is keeping that 20% performance? Yeah, and mathematically, you can figure out pretty quickly. If we know that historically markets are up about every 8 out of 10 years, if you have one year where the market makes 30 and the company gets to keep 25 of that 30, that can pay for a lot of down years. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's how they're doing it. So I don't want you to think nobody's giving you a free lunch when they offer you guarantees or safety from risk. There's just no free lunch in it. And I want you to understand those components. The last thing to kind of close out this point before we moving to move to number four is it just, it cracked me up when it came across because I was already throwing around the idea and then I caught this email and I was just like, this is too good. Um, you know, guys, we're in the financial industry. So nobody knows when they're writing me an email, when they're trying to sell us. Cause we get calls. Bo, how many calls do we get a day? Probably six, seven oh, from, oh. from wholesalers. And we just don't work that way, guys. I mean, we, we, we just don't work that way. So we don't take those phone calls, but I get email solicitations left and right. And they don't know we're fee only. They don't know who they just assume we're like everybody else who does this for a living. So I get an email and I'm not going to give the guy's name. I'm not going to give his company, but it's an insurance company. And it's, um, it's so funny. I print this thing out and I'm trying to figure out if I could, sh- if we could show this on the show. But, Bo, when you scan through, when you look at this email, what is the only thing that is bold faced and underlined and has three stars next to it? It says eight and a half percent commission for agent. So, I mean, wait a minute. This is, this is a, a product that we're supposed to bring forward to, cl- to clients. And the thing they want us to know the most about it is how much we'd get paid if we sold. Because it leads off. Good afternoon. Do you have any clients or potential clients looking to defer income? Well, all of our clients yeah. are saving for retirement. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, that's that. like everybody. Um, so and, and here it is. It's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bullet points of why you should look at this product. And, and I'm just going to kind of go through these really quickly. It's got a guaranteed withdrawal benefit feature. It's got... Um, some unique upside interest credit potential tied to the S&P 500. Now, it says that it doesn't say anything, any limitations on the, right, in, his, right, right. in his intro, but I actually went deeper into his email and actually opened some of the attachments. Every one of his S&P tied options has with cap. I, I'm using, that's quote, I did the rabbit ears in the air because it says with cap. Now, I couldn't find in any of the paperwork because I'd have to go deeper in the rabbit hole where they'd actually have to send me disclosures right. and so forth to see what the cap is. But that that with cap means that you're not participating in all the upside of the market. Um, downside market protection, got to have that, get those guarantees. It. But they do let you, next, number four was 12-year surrender charge in most states. Um, liquidity for life's unexpected events. This is probably where they're going to give you that 10% a year because that's once they lock you up for that 10 to 12 years, they will say, hey, yeah, but we'll give you 10%, right. you know, penalty free, or we'll give you something if you have, you know, a terminal illness or something like that, a hardship. 
Um, and then it says enhanced death benefits. So there's going to be, you know, some type of life insurance component built in. But here's the last one. The only one out of all those different bullet points I just read to you in this email. This is the only one that has three stars, is bold faced and underlined. Eight and a half percent commission for the agent. That, that concerns me mm-hmm. when a product is pitched to me. And the first thing that they try to draw my eye to is, how much money I could make off that. That's that's the way the industry works. And I, that's what I'm telling you. Be aware, guys. Be very aware. Bo, you didn't know I was bringing any no, of these, I had no idea, these no. things. But it does crack me. By the way, if you want to know, because you're probably thinking, he got that email three years ago, and he's just been saving it. No, I went and did a search, because all I had to do, because that's 8.5% is a pretty common thing, guys, When you, especially when you're dealing with equity index annuities and other things. So I will... I just did a search on my in my email for 8.5%. That's all I had to do, and I get these things all the time. This one came in on May 30th, today uh, of 2017, at 1.01 p.m. By the way, today is June 1st. So this came in two days ago. Came in Tuesday. It's now Thursday. Amazing. We get these things probably three, four, five times a week. So I'll keep going, but you can tell this stuff really gets to me. Somebody is trying to... To sell you so they can make eight and a half percent. It does go back to that whole Looney Tunes thing. This is why everybody thinks if you got a college problem, you need insurance. If you got, um, you know, a, a retirement or you need to take a loan out on your mortgage, you know, so you can refinance, get that money. Let's go buy an annuity. Everything yeah. looks like an annuity because that agent's going to make eight and a half percent on it. If you start talking about, Even a $100,000 is going to generate $8,000 of commissions. You can see that for somebody sitting on the side of the table of selling those products, man, you need that. You need that because he needs you to need that. I mean, that really is the way these things work out. So be very careful of those guarantees and that promise of safety because they can be super expensive. And you want somebody who's going to look at things from a complete 360 and give you multiple tools. So, number four. This is a big one. Well, a big one to the to the regulatory bodies. Oh, it's a huge one. Churning. Churning is one of those things. If you wanna, if you've got a financial advisor that you feel like is just not treating you right, and you hear this definition and you resemble this, just let him know you have some concerns that there might be churning in, in the account, and I guarantee you he will sit up straight in his seat. Because churning is one of those things that regulators are looking for on a constant basis. If you just go to, and I'm going to tell you what it means, but I just want to let you see the gravity of why this is such a big thing in the financial industry. If you go to the Securities and Exchange Commission's website, that's SEC, and we'll probably put a link on the sure. website. Um, on their, on their fast answers link, if you just go to, 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 or just go to Google and type in SEC churning, and it'll probably bring up the same link. Um, to what is churning, and then it has an online complaint form right there next to the definition, meaning that if you are concerned, you can go ahead and tell the Securities and Exchange Commission right there on the spot that you are concerned about this. Bo, tell them what churning is according to the Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah, what, what the SEC says is this is when a broker engages in excessive buying and selling of securities in a customer's account, mainly for the purpose of generating commissions that benefit the broker. So it's a lot of buys, a lot of sales, 
Not because that's what the client needs, but because the broker gets paid every time a transaction happens. You don't see this as much. Just This is how you can tell I'm old and I've been doing this for a while, is that used to have a lot of people selling B shares. B shares, when no-load funds started coming along, realize when I say no-loads, I'm meaning funds that don't have commissions. Um, the commission side of the business said, well, we got to come up with an answer to these no-load funds. So they came up with different letter structures, A shares, B shares, C shares, and so forth. Well, B shares were some of the worst because what they did is they said, you know what? There are no front-end commissions. We're not going to charge any front-end commissions. Um, We're just like a no-load. We look just like a no-load. But here's where they they really were sticking it to you is that their operating expenses were through the roof. When I say every fund, even index funds have operating expenses, just – Index funds have operating expenses that are practically free. Right. It wasn't uncommon to see a, a B share have an internal expense over 2% right. back in the heyday of these things. But that was one thing that you had to look out. But the second thing was if you sold this fund within five to six years, because they had a graduated fee structure, they had a deferred sales charge on the back end. Um, so it used to drive me crazy, and this is the textbook definition of churning, is that you have somebody who's been sold this product been in it for a year or two, and then their, you know, their advisor comes to them and says, you know what? That product, just kidding, is not as good as I'd like. Let's, let's go sell that and buy another one. And, you know, so as you're getting, you're approaching the end of your commission period, they go and put you in another commission product. Um, you see this with life insurance. You yep. see this with mutual funds. You see it with all kinds of things. Be aware of churning. If they're excessively trading your account to generate additional commissions, You've got a problem, and if you resemble that, go do some research yeah. on this. Yeah. The last one, errors of omission. Here's the thing, guys. We've seen this one. Now, this one has not happened in the last two or three weeks, but I thought of this one after we started doing the show notes, and then Bo and, Bo and I put this in, in there, is that we had a, a client who brought their mother to just wanted to get a second opinion. Sure. The mother was in her 80s. Yep. And um, this is the, unfortunately this is back in 2008, mm-hmm. maybe two. The, it was actually, 2009. We 2009 is when we started talking to her, so we, the 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 trouble had already occurred. Yeah. Um, and we looked at this portfolio, realized this is somebody in their 80s, and I got to tell you, it was a who's who of who was hot in the mid 90s. Realize we are talking about 2009, and this is a who's who of top funds from 1998. And we realize this is negligence. This is somebody who's been charging an ongoing fee, and yet they still have done nothing with this account, probably because this this person probably didn't make a lot of noise. Right, yeah. I mean, they're they're in their 80s. You know, they're just assuming that their advisor's doing everything for them. That is, guys, as we've mentioned, I understand why people hire financial advisors, because the world's moving much faster. You're trying to get, you don't have enough hours in the day. You need somebody to help you with these decisions and especially with portfolio monitoring, rebalancing, investment review. But, and, and we even like passive investing. Sure. I mean, yeah. we use index funds, but there is a difference between passive investing and then somebody who's just set it and forget it. You just don't do that because unfortunately there, there are times when it makes sense to leave a fund. So if you buy these funds that were high flyers in the nineties, they, they had no business being in an 80 year olds. Uh, to have a 100% equity portfolio for an 80-something-year-old individual was criminal in my eyes. Now, unfortunately, we found out that there's a lot of disclaimers and other things that makes, because we, we went to the, the road of get, helping this person find an attorney, but the attorneys let us know it's a hard process to sue somebody. So that's why we, we want to load you up with the tools 
So it can be a buyer beware and you understand these things so you don't fall into these traps because it is unfortunate when if you if you have somebody or if you're not able, capable of keeping up with your portfolio and you have somebody who's not doing this stuff proactively for you, a 2008 type scenario comes along and it completely derails your financial situation. So those are the five points, Bo. Kind of give us a summary of the things we talked about today. And then I know I've been so negative. I feel like the Debbie Downer here of talking about why you have to be careful about financial advisors. Give us a kind of a, a, some thoughts on what to, a person should look for. So the first thing is if you're someone who you're kind of wondering about the value your advisor provides or if maybe any of these things, you know, these things might be red flags, look at your accounts and see if you're somebody who owns annuities inside of an IRA. That's one you should look at. Um, if your advisor is constantly recommending strategies that make you feel a little uncomfortable, that maybe you don't completely understand or that cause you to lose sleep at night, you may be taking on more risk than you need. Even if you're somebody young, but you have a super low risk tolerance, if you can't sleep at night, your portfolio is not structured correctly for you. You need to fi- have a portfolio that makes sense for, for where you are. Um, if your advisor is someone who gives you the same solution no matter what your problem is, then you might want to ask some questions about why that's the only solution that they're recommending. Uh, obviously, churning, Brian, you did a great job on that one. If there's just tons of transactions happening uh, in your portfolio and you're not telling your advisor that you want to be a day trader or a month trader or a year-to-year trader, uh, then that's something that you ought to revisit. And then you want to make sure that your advisor is keeping an eye on your portfolio. If the last time you talked to your advisor was the very first time you ever talked to your advisor, there might be a problem there. Um, and if you have some questions about the funds in your portfolio, about why they make sense, ask your advisor. I love it all the time. In the portfolios we design, Brian, we have a, an asset class that we call alternatives. Now, it's not anything like hedge funds or private equity or black box type stuff. It's mutual funds and ETFs. But a lot of clients have a question about that. Hey, what's in the alternative section? And I kind of walk through each one of the funds that we use there and why we use that fund and why it makes sense for that client. So if your advisor can't at a very minimum do that, it should be a red flag for you. Now, these are all bad examples of inappropriate behavior. Of advisors maybe not acting in your best interest, but there are advisors out there who really do care about clients uh, reaching their long-term goals. There are people who are just born and they may not be able to, you know, slam dunk a basketball like uh, like LeBron James. They may not be able to hit a baseball like Charlie Blackman. But they are somebody who is just really good with money, and they want to take that skill set that they have. I'm blushing over here, but <laughs> <laughs> and they want to take that skill set that they have, and they want to help you make those same sort of financial decisions. So it can be a huge asset that really increases the value of your total enterprise, total portfolio value. So advisors really can be a huge, huge asset for you. And if you're curious of where to start, there's a great organization called NAPFA. It's the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. They even have a thing on their website. We can go out there and you can search your zip code. You can find fee-only advisors. It's a great place to start. Another great place to start if you want to know just more about advising, go out to our website and check it out and kind of see some of the things that we have out there we've set up. Use that as a barometer and litmus test for what might make the most sense for you. Yeah, and I'll give a plug for NAPFA also in the fact that when I first entered the industry of fee-only, I mean, you go to one of these conferences, guys, I think it's just a different mindset. These guys are sharing not only trying to to help their their customers and clients, 
they're sharing amongst each other. I, I still, my mentor came from a, a relationship at Napa where she was just giving out CDs. That's right, CD-ROMs were, were Man, prevalent. how long back, ago was that? Back in 2002, um, CD-ROMs were very prevalent, you know, and, and she was just giving out templates of how she did business with all of her forms. And I still look back and I, I think, what a just completely generous thing. And I, and, I, and I tell you that her fingerprints are on the fact of that that mentality led to this podcast. Absolutely. I mean, because I have realized... And here's here's the truth of the matter. And this is why, like I said, when you guys come and visit us here in downtown Franklin, right in the restaurant district, so if you're hungry, this is a good place to be anyway, is that the more generous we are, the more successful you guys are. And there is this cool side effect to your success, is that because you feel like our fingerprints were somehow involved in your success, you guys graduate to this level. You say, you know what? I am at that point where there's not enough hours in the day. I'm at that point that I'm worried, hey, I make great decisions, but my spouse has zero desire and I'm getting a little bit older. I'd love to have these guys kind of look over my shoulder because what happens if I'm not here? And we see this sometimes with our listeners now bringing their parents into the fold. Guys, this is incredible. And I just feel like the luckiest guy in the world because we started this thing with the purest of intentions and then we've continued to just keep nurture it pour water on it and love on it by giving you guys as much free advice as possible and y'all just keep loving on us back i mean you keep growing this thing and i don't know where this journey ends because you know this is not a corporate show you know that's one of the things when i started podcasting in 2006 it was a bunch of mom and pops matter of fact i've bought a book it's somewhere in here I, we could find it later. Anyway, the, the the author of the book, I ran into a problem when I first started doing the podcast. Called the guy out in Hawaii, or, or emailed him, and he called me from Hawaii and helped me out. And that's just the type of personality of people that were podcasting in the beginning. And now it's changed. I mean, there's a lot more corporations. A lot of you see a lot of you know publications that have gotten into to podcasting, and that's why it excites me that you guys are still finding out about us. You're still tuning in after all these years, even though we're a mom and pop of the podcasting and broadcasting industry. I just ask you, don't give up on that. Please continue to tell your friends, your family about us, because the only way we remain relevant is by you leaving those comments out there on iTunes, by you continuing to tell your friends and family so that we can continue to grow our audience, because it's it's harder. I will tell you there are a lot more opportunities out there, but I don't know that we're all created equal on the quality of the advice that's being shared out there in the podcast world. So thank you, thank you, thank you. That probably went a little longer than I anticipated, but you mean the world to me, and I really am the luckiest guy in the world. Could not do it without you. So go check us out on moneyguy.com. You can go on Abound Wealth if you want to reach out to us that way on our contact page, or you can also write the show directly. You can write me at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at moneyguy.com, or my co-host, Mr. Bo Hansen at bo, B-O, at moneyguy.com. We will be back in two weeks. We truly love doing this. I think you can hopefully sense that passion, and I can't wait to be here again and share whatever we can do to help you go beyond common sense. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. (laughs) 